good day, everyone. Thank you for attending this session of ITSA 365 IT Security Talks with Trezorate, facilitated by Encryption Europe. My name is James Briscoe, and I am the Policy and Outreach Officer at Encryption Europe, a Luxembourg-based industry alliance of European SMEs and mid-caps that champions strong encryption and encryption best practices. Our goal is to promote and protect encryption technologies in Europe to secure the privacy and security of all Europeans. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Trezorit, a leading provider of secure end-to-end -end encrypted cloud storage solutions and an influential member of the Alliance. Trezorit's success and commitment to securing and protecting encryption technologies are exemplary and align with the mission of Encryption Europe as demonstrated by their continued participation in our expert webinars and events like Global Encryption Day. In this webinar, Trezorit's Chief Data and Compliance Officer and co-founder, Sylvester Sabeni, will discuss the finer details of true end-to-end -end encryption, how zero knowledge can improve your sleep, and how only ease of use can eliminate the human factor. I'd like to take this opportunity also to thank ITSA 365 for hosting this event and providing a platform for industry leaders to come together and discuss the importance of encryption and security. By presenting this event, Trezorit is demonstrating its commitment to educating people about encryption and promoting best practices in data security. And with that, I will hand over to Sylvester. Thank you, James. Uh, so today we're going to talk about end-to-end -end encryption and how it really took over the world in ways that a lot of us uh, haven't seen or realized. Uh, but then also talk about uh, what its promises are and when it doesn't always deliver on this promise. So we're going to jump straight into uh, the agenda uh, of today. Uh, first, what we're going to talk about is what end-to-end -end encryption is and how it compares to traditional cloud security. And then I would like to share with you a little bit of the timeline of how end-to-end encrypted products uh, and when they were launched. And then looking at the space today of what is out there that we use in our day-to-day -day lives and what is available for businesses to use as well. And then we're gonna go into a case study, uh, looking at uh, a data breach that happened in the near past and evaluating um, what different uh, organizations uh, could do to remedy uh, the particular scenario, and then coming to a few conclusions of what the remaining risks there still are when you are using an end-to-end -end encrypted product, and what remediations should be done on the users and on the service provider side. So what is end-to-end -end encryption? Before we dive into what end-to-end -end encryption is, uh, I think it is important to understand what traditional cloud security looks like. When you are sharing a file, for example, between two users over the internet, what happens today is that on your machine, you have that file uh, that is probably quite confidential, and you're uh, uploading it to the server. And this uh, channel, it's protected. This is what we use day to day uh, when you connect to your bank, HTTPS, SSL, TLS. Uh, these are the technologies that are, are used to uh, protect uh, this channel. So anybody who uh, has access to this channel will not be able to read its contents. That's very great 
that this is what gives us a secure connection and communication with our banks, for example. Now the server receives the file and the server can see this file. Um, so anybody who has access to that server can also see the file. Uh, this file would then be put onto some storage um, uh, in an encrypted manner. So anybody who is changing the hard disks on that storage, a technician or anything like that, would have no access to the file, which again is great. This is what we call at-rest encryption. And when the recipient would like to retrieve the file, uh, they request it from the server, the server requests it from the storage, decrypts it, and then sends it to the recipient. Now, in this scenario, anybody who controls the server, let this be a hacker, an admin, uh, three-letter agencies trying to access the data, they all have a way to receive, retrieve this file once it goes onto the service provider's uh, systems. Now, contrary to this, when you're talking about an end-to-end -end encrypted uh, architecture, the file is encrypted on the client side and only then sent to the server, put onto storage, retrieve from the server, and the recipient decrypts the file on the client, meaning in the browser or the desktop application that they are using. And one very important thing is that the keys are also managed uh, by the end users, uh, guaranteeing that nobody uh, other than these two users or their machines are able to decrypt the contents. So a few properties of end-to-end -end encryption um, are the following. Uh, as uh, we've already discussed, uh, the most important property is that the information that is being transmitted uh, between users are encrypted once it leaves the sender's device and remains encrypted all the way until it re receives the recipient. And the key management is also performed by the endpoints. So there is no central key server or anything like that, uh, like in other DRM-like solutions that uh, distribute keys. The endpoints manage the keys. This is very important. And the encryption and decryption happens on those endpoints. Now, uh, the server does not see any content, keys, or passwords. They only store the encrypted content, encrypted keys used to decrypt the content and public keys and certificates uh, that is used to share uh, keys between users. A little bit of history or recent history about end-to-end encrypted products. Here's a long list of products a lot of you may know. Um, one of the foundations uh, for end-to-end encrypted technology uh, is PGP, which is an email extension uh, built on top of email, and the way this worked was that uh, users would share uh, uh, public keys with each other and then send emails encrypted with that public key that then the other uh, recipient could decrypt uh, using their uh, browser extensions and uh, very specific tools. Uh, later on in the late 2000s or the late 2010s, uh, uh, along came a few file syncing sharing companies like Trezorit, uh, uh, which is a file storage company uh, like ourselves. Uh, you also have iMessage um, coming along uh, with the likes of Apple, which is quite limited only between Apple devices. And uh, probably the most widespread used application, WhatsApp, 
which uh, has end-to-end -end encryption uh, uh, built in. Of course, there are some privacy concerns behind it with the, with the metadata, but if we just look at the architecture itself, the messages themselves uh, that we send between our friends cannot be decrypted by anybody else, only uh, the people we are messaging. And later on, uh, going into the business space, Zoom has, uh, has listened at the beginning of the pandemic uh, with all their um, security concerns, they've listened to those concerns, and the foolproof solution for those concerns was to implement end-to-end -end encryption, which came out later that year. I take my hats off to Zoom in implementing this. Microsoft Teams is also there, though lagging behind. Uh, with their solution only working with one-to-one -one conversations. So the minute you have more than two people in a conversation, uh, the end-to-end -end encryption is disabled, or I would rather say not implemented because it is more complex to implement. And this is one uh, thing that we all see that uh, there are a lot of companies that take shortcuts when uh, implementing end-to-end -end encryption and only do the most basic uh, requirements uh, of crypto engineering. And we'll see later on in our case study. Now, the question is usually in IT, when you have a company that comes up with a new idea, usually that they, they take away all the winnings or a technology. But in this case, uh, it was not the case that PGP is only used by a few techies, while WhatsApp is used by about 2 billion people in the world. There's a big difference. And over here, uh, the reason behind this, in our opinion, is just the usability. The industry has for a long time had this narrative that the easier to use something is, the less secure it is. Or the more secure it is, that must be harder to use and accept this, uh, this, uh, uh, these obstacles when using something in the name of security. We at Trezoria think this, this is a very flawed approach to IT. Because when you make something unusable, people will find a way around it. They will not use it. Uh, and that is uh, the breeding ground for shadow IT to appear in an organization uh, that will lead, uh, in, lead to uncontrolled um, uh, data storage and information uh, leakage. So an encryption solution, a security solution, should not be an add-on to an existing product that's unsecure. But when we create IT products or anything in general for that matter, uh, security should be part of the planning process at the very beginning. And that is how we designed Trezoret from, uh, from day one, to make it uh, usable and secure. And therefore, you had the same feature set as um, a general product, uh, just encrypted and designed from the from day one so that these features work because you have to implement it differently um, uh, when when you're implementing these type of solutions since you cannot rely on the server to make complex calculations everything has to be on the done on the client side and that is why i predict that uh, email as we know it today will never be secure uh, to make it secure you have to replace it with a different platform of course that's going to be really really hard uh, since it's so much entrenched in to our daily lives. We have a lot of patchwork around it to make it more secure. Uh, but um, that is why email is one of the biggest risks uh, to companies today. So uh, the moral of the story here is 
do not sacrifice on ease of use when implementing any IT solution because it will just lead to less security. Looking at the communication space today, um, I thought it would be uh, interesting to highlight what tools there are out there that we use day to day and which of these tools have end-to-end -end encryption in them and with what limitations. I uh, wanted to start off with the chat space. Uh, this is a space that uh, uh, we use a lot in uh, our daily lives, uh, probably usually uh, as uh, private citizens, uh, because these applications are, are not so much uh, a part of uh, business use cases, but we'll get to uh, business solutions later on. So looking at um, these uh, widely used uh, applications, uh, a lot of them have enter encryption like iMessage, WhatsApp, Wire and Signal. Uh, Google Chat unfortunately doesn't have any enter encryption options. Uh, Telegram uh, similarly uh, uh, to Teams only has a one-to-one -one, um, uh, channel uh, that is optional uh, where it is enter encrypted. And similar to, uh, to that Facebook Messenger, enter uh, encryption is an optional a tool where you can turn it on when you're talking to people. Uh, and my, my belief there is that uh, if something is not default, unfortunately, it's not going to be used by the vast majority of, um, of users. And of course, uh, Facebook does not want uh, people going off their platform. So uh, their, the option is there so that they can say that if somebody wants it, then they have it. But unfortunately, still probably 90 plus percent of messages via me, uh, Messenger are still not end-to-end encrypted. Uh, talking about the video conference solutions, uh, I've already touched on those. Um, uh, three of the big or uh, uh, widely used application all support end-to-end uh, encryption. Uh, so. I'm really happy that in this space, end-to-end -end encryption is really taking off. And uh, especially if you have high-profile board meetings, um, using end-to-end encrypted Zoom or Cisco WebEx uh, solution is definitely uh, the approach you would like to take. Finally, uh, there uh, is um, file sharing. Uh, software as a system service file sharing solutions uh, for businesses. And over here, uh, the situation is slightly different where there is only one player that's end-to-end -end encrypted and the other widely used players uh, are not. Now, when we're talking about file sharing versus messaging, there's one huge difference is the type of data that is being transferred. When you have messages or voice, that data lives only for a very short time. So the key management has only need to be done once for that particular time. And next time you have a conversation, you can redo the key management and you don't need to worry about accessing old data. Now, when you're talking about a file sharing solution and uh, password managers, that's the next section, you have to be able to access old data uh, because that's uh, very valuable data to you. You do not want to lose all the data that you worked on a week ago or yesterday. And over here, the key, key management is slightly more complex uh, when you have ever-changing groups and ever-changing files. 
and on to password managers. Now, password managers uh, are probably the most critical because that's where you store all your secrets, not necessarily just passwords, but keys for deployment applications uh, and anything like that. And uh, of course, we at Trezor highly recommend that you use some uh, form of password management because there's just simply no way that uh, for the hundreds of accounts that you need to access uh, on a regular basis, you can remember unique passwords. Now, choosing a password manager uh, is slightly tricky, as we have also recently noticed. Um, they all have end-to-end -end encryption, which is great. Uh, I just wanted to highlight KeyPass over here, uh, which um, is one of the most widely used offline uh, password management applications. But the drawback to uh, to KeyPass is that it's um, not uh, not easy to share uh, secrets with that with other people in your organization when you're talking about a business use case. All the rest are uh, software as a service uh, based approach that all have end to end encryption. Uh, but two of these uh, that are more for uh, consumers, uh, the browser based and Apple Keychain, uh, you do not have. Um, Sharing, so I would also highlight that those are not really suitable uh, for a business use case. All the rest are very similar in implementation and uh, performance. One key difference is the way that uh, the master password uh, or the sorry, the master key is derived. Um, most of these are derived from the password, and that master key is the key that's used to decrypt all. Um, all, all the rest of your passwords that you're storing um, in your vault, so to say. Now, two uh, exceptions to this is the Apple Keychain and 1Password, where there is no um, uh, master password, or the password master password is more just like a, a, a pin. Uh, the master key is stored on the device, and if you want to log into a completely new device, uh, your password is not enough. You either need a recovery key, which, uh, or you need uh, another device that's already logged in. Uh, so, and the next question is, what happens uh, when when there is a data breach, uh, when you have an end-to-end encrypted solution? The promise of over here is that uh, since the service provider has no access to the data. Uh, theoretically, there should be no issue when all the data is leaked, um, if you have a strong password, of course. Now, with uh, this uh, password manager breach that has happened in the past, uh, most of you, I'm sure, have heard that uh, LastPass has quite a, a large data breach. Um, we went ahead and thought, uh, what should companies do in this uh, particular uh, scenario? Now, we're not going to worry about all the unencrypted data like uh, billing data. That, that data is uh, usually pretty public anyway. You can find uh, the billing data for any organization. Um, so and that, that's outside the topic of today's uh, talk. But uh, what we uh, would like to talk about today is the encrypted content. And what attackers can do with that, that encrypted content. So if you have a strong password and you're a single user, in theory, uh, there uh, should be no issue. Um, but of course, 
what if uh, one of your employees has a weak password that is prone uh, to brute forcing? Um, let's say it's only nine characters long and after some time, somebody's going to start trying and they're going to have access to, to all your passwords. No problem. What you can do, you change all the master passwords and you change all the passwords in your vault. This, of course, uh, takes a lot of effort. But uh, one would think that this solves uh, the risk, that even if uh, uh, the password is cracked uh, for this leaked data, they only have access to the old passwords that don't work anymore. Now, the issue with this is that uh, going back to uh, implementation of the cryptography, what we've seen widely um, uh, in the industry for a lot of providers, um, they still use the same keys. Uh, there is no key rotation. And uh, what this means is that um, uh, this part of um, the chart uh, has been leaked. So the old password, uh, its stretched form, of course the password itself was not leaked, but the, the stretched uh, uh, form of the password was leaked, the encryption key and the encrypted passwords. Now, if somebody hacks uh, this old password, uh, they they uh, they start testing and, and find one that works, then they can have access to the old keys. Now, you were uh, proactive, uh, you were a very diligent admin and made sure that all the passwords were changed, you would think that you are fine now. Now, the issue is that um, it's, you, what happened uh, in the background was a new password was stitched, set with a new stretched key, and unfortunately, this key is still the same. So you've protected all these new passwords with the same key. Now, if there is another data breach, then uh, if this old password uh, was hacked, they have access to the key, they have immediate access to all your change password, which is not what you would expect. And this is not just true for, um, for hacked passwords, but let's say you have an administrator that was removed from uh, the group uh, they had access to all the, the passwords. You were, again, a very diligent admin and you changed all the passwords. But there was a data breach and using their old passwords, they have access to the key and immediate access to uh, your new passwords. And, and there, there is already an option for the old uh, administrator to blackmail the organization, which I think is a huge risk. So uh, removed employees, broken accounts, or even broken accounts of removed employees, which I think is the highest risk. Uh, uh, break the promise, uh, I think, of end-to-end um, uh, -end encryption, because in this scenario, if you've changed everything, you should believe that this key is also changed. So now the answer to this, of course, is to, um, is to rotate these keys. And... Um, and create a new key when you're creating new passwords. And um, with this uh, setup, uh, you uh, once you've rotated all the uh, pairs, uh, when you change a password or just uh, by uh, changing these keys every now and then, or when someone is removed from the group, uh, you can solve uh, this uh, scenario from uh, the software uh, provider side. Now, of course, um, uh, that's implementation and makes it more, more complex, but uh, to do encryption right, uh, you have to take these steps. So in conclusion, 
Um, the, the promise of end-to-end -end encryption is that uh, when the data providers hack, hackers will not have access to your data, but that's only true if you have uh, uh, strong passwords. And the risks are that in case you have weak passwords, that these can be potentially brute forced. If a key rotation is not implemented correctly uh, using old passwords, uh, new secrets can be reached via old keys. And there's three, uh, four basic ways you can remediate this. Of course, use a strong password. Uh, that's the obvious one here. But if you're an organization, that's not necessarily feasible. Um, and if you're a software provider doing internet encryption, then um, use strong password stretching algorithms uh, that make it harder uh, for uh, hackers to, to break these passwords, implement periodic key rotations, mm -hmm. and do immediate key rotations after any security events such as a breach or password changes by the user. So that was our talk for today. Uh, I hope everyone could take something uh, away from this talk, and I'm open to listen to any questions. How do you define suitable um, for business? How do you define suitable for business with password yes. managers? So one very uh, simple feature requirement when you're sharing with uh, password managers is the ability to share passwords uh, between users. Uh, there are scenarios, especially when you're in a development environment, you want to share uh, keys, uh, you need that ability. And uh, with a browser password manager, that's just not there. You need to have uh, the ability to recover passwords when someone's leaving the company to access their accounts. Uh, that's also a feature. Uh, just the lack of uh, organization or hierarchy. Um, that's one feature that you need uh, that is available with all the other providers on that same slide. Uh, how might social engineering attacks such as phishing attacks or impersonation be used uh, to undermine security of end-to-end -end encryption and gain unauthorized access to data? So social engineering attacks, end-to-end uh, -end encryption is uh, just as prone to social engineering attacks when you're looking at it from the client side. But uh, when you're looking at it from the service provider side, there, uh, the risk is slightly lower. So your data will only be leaked if you are socially engineered. And if your uh, subcontractors are socially engineered, your data is still safe. Um, so when you're looking at from the attacker's point of view, they have to go against each and everyone independently to access their data. And there's no one golden trophy accessing a lot of organizations' data at the same time. Um, so it's really just minimizing uh, the impact of social engineering. It's not going to fix social engineering. Passwords by nature are a problem and password managers are not a scalable solution. Uh, they are more like a patch on a bleeding wound. I would agree with that. Uh, only solution I see is Fido, uh, but this technology is not widely accepted by the big three taken over by Posky that does not fit all circumstances. What's your opinion about that? Uh, I agree with you 100%. Um, Fido does help, uh, would help, uh, so to say. I'm very, very uh, sad that uh, Microsoft does not uh, support it in, in all scenarios. Um, Google has, uh, doesn't support it either. Um, it, there's still a long way to go until uh, Fido is widespread uh, because Fido, on the other hand, does um, protect against social engineering 
or at least a lot of search engineering attacks like phishing. So it's phishing proof. That's great. Uh, but you still have to manage uh, credentials. Uh, so Fido together with SSO is uh, probably the best. And uh, what we uh, see is that uh, you should also be able to uh, put some sort of cryptography into the identity where you can use your identity to encrypt things and not just to authenticate yourself. That's one thing that, uh, that I'm personally missing from, from the, the Fido framework. Have you considered what deployment of Fido with cross keys would bring to your use case? Yeah, so this actually uh, uh, is exactly uh, what I mentioned in the in the previous answer to the previous question, is that um, Fido is really good for authentication, but not for uh, giving a secure key to encrypt things. Uh, and that's where, uh, for our particular use case, uh, uh, there would need to be done, done some workarounds where we store additional key on the device. Uh, can you please elaborate a bit on secure compute platforms, meaning server-side computing on unencrypted data without exposing it? Yes, I'm somewhat familiar with this technology. Um, you still have to trust the hardware and the hardware manufacturer uh, and the person controlling that hardware and the fact that you can really authenticate uh, that, that, that you're using that hardware. Um, I see uh, secure compute and HSMs as a step between classical computing, what I, I mentioned at the very beginning, classical uh, IT security, uh, and then you have uh, these HSM solutions and the trusted computing, which is one layer better, uh, very good for auditing purposes. And then you have end-to-end -end encryption, which uh, is the real guarantee of uh, transparency from uh, the server or, or opacity for the server, so the server doesn't see anything. Um, the, the issue over here is 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 also is also trust. There's um, one last question: uh, Are there emerging technologies or trends that could pose a threat to the long-term viability of end-to-end -end encryption as a privacy security tool? Yeah, uh, so of course there's uh, quantum computers uh, that uh, is um, is, a, is an issue when you're regarding uh, public encryption uh, that is widely used today. But uh, the, uh, the solution to that is not far off. Uh, we have very good uh, post-quantum algorithms in the race, uh, in NIST, uh, um, NIST's race. Uh, they have already been chosen. Uh, the final specification is hopefully coming out later this year. So just changing the public key uh, encryption uh, algorithms uh, will fix uh, the, the issue with the quantum computer, uh, computers. And I think I've gone through all the questions. Yes, I think so too. Um, time's already over. Thank you very Thank much you. for your intention, Sylvester.